0: Welcome to the well here at STSA, where as you saw from the video right there, we are going behind the scenes. We are going backstage looks here. What's really going on behind some of the most famous couples that we see in the scriptures. And last week, we kicked off the series in a fun way. We looked at Jacob and Leah and Rachel, and we saw how that little love triangle worked out. And we saw that someone who was a great man, a great saint, a father of nations, man chosen by God, had some concerns right there and some issues in the beginning of his marriage. All right, And really the problems in his marriage started from before marriage. Because if you remember last week, we talked about Jacob's problem was that Jacob fell in love with being in love. And when you fall in love with being in love, it's inevitable that problems are going to happen. When anything becomes higher than God, there's a word for that in the Old Testament, it's called idolatry. That's what we saw with Jacob. He made marriage, his idol, number one. I fell in love with this girl. I don't even know her name, but she's the answer to all my problems. And the inevitable result when that happens to you is problems. That's why we saw the solution last week is that Jesus must be one. Everything else must be number two, including your spouse. Now, last week, we looked at a good man who made some mistakes, Jacob. Today, we're going to look at a bad man who makes horrible mistakes and is even more bad or worse wife and see the problems that they cause. You see, last week we looked at somebody good, how they made mistakes, we can kind of learn from them. Today, we're gonna to hold up probably the most wicked and evil couple in the Bible, okay? A man who is wicked, he's a coward, he's a bad, bad man. Like he's a guy that gives Judas a run for his money on the top 10 list of people you don't wanna be playing the part of in the, in the school play. The only thing worse than this man was his wicked wife. And his wicked wife, even her name today, people who don't know her story in the Bible, her name, you just say her name, you hear a lot in the music, especially the rap music that the kids listen to these days. Her very name means an evil, scheming, plotting, deceiving woman. And the name of that couple is Ahab and Jezebel. And we'll read just one verse to introduce their story. Ahab and Jezebel, this is what the scripture says in 1 Kings 21, 25. There was never anyone like Ahab. Never anyone like him, but not necessarily in a good way. Never anyone like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged on by Jezebel, his wife. No one like Ahab ever, but not in the way that you may be thinking. No one more evil than him. And this is the only king, the only king that we actually hear his wife's name. And the reason we hear his wife's name, the scripture doesn't do anything for no reason. All the other kings, this guy was bad, this guy messed up, this guy this. This guy was bad, and his wife was part of the problem too. And it's very rare to see that, so you know there's something going on right here. Let's take a step back. Let's get the context of the story before we delve into what's going on here with Ahab and Jezebel. Ahab was the seventh king of the nation of Israel. By this time, the nation of Israel had divided into two parts, northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. So Ahab was the seventh one who ruled in the northern kingdom. He was king for 20 years, and if you just kind of looked on the surface, Ahab was actually a pretty good king. Like military-wise, political-wise, Ahab was a good, strong leader who did good stuff for the nation. The problem is, is that even though he had great potential to be a true leader, a great man of God, he was not a leader in his home. And in his home... He gave up the leadership to his wife. And his wife was no good. And his wife, okay, so all throughout Israel's history, they worshiped other gods, and that was bad. Okay, they worshiped these other gods, and they were bad, and they should never do that. Jezebel, when she came in, she brought in the worship of a new god who was the worst of them all. And his name was Baal, B-A-A-L. And Baal was the god I'll just tell you what he's the God of, and you can kind of see why he was probably the worst one. He was the God of fertility. So the worship of Baal was the worst of all the foul worship and the idol worship in all of Israel's history. Who brought it in? This lady named Jezebel and her husband, who was supposed to be the leader of that household, instead of squashing it and stopping it there and helping Israel to turn around to where they belong, let his wife take control. And the end result was the country went down the toilet. And this dynamic, okay, that we're going to read about Ahab and Jezebel. I'm not saying every marriage is like this, but I'm saying it's a very common dynamic that we see today, that I see today, and we want to address it here from a biblical perspective, and that is the dynamic of the passive husband and the controlling wife. And I can see all the ladies getting their pens ready to throw at me. All right, hold your horses. Give me a half hour, give me 30 minutes. Okay, before you judge me as old-fashioned or outdated, or I don't know what I'm talking about, or show, just give me 30 minutes, okay, to make the case of why the passive husband, coupled with the controlling wife, especially, is going to lead to problems and is against the plan of God. Now, assuming that we are all in a neutral state of mind right now, and no one wants to kill me yet, ladies, ever struggle with the need to control? The laughter says it all, okay? Ever feel like, you know, you just wish that he would just listen to what you said and just kind of, or that the kids would just, or that ever feel like you just need to just, I just need to control something. I just need to put something together and fix something to make it right. Ever feel that need to control, that urge to control? I think from the very, very, very beginning, you look back to Adam and Eve. First thing, first mistake Eve made, what she want to do. Adam, eat this. Just come on, come on. I told you to eat this. Put that donut down. Eat this apple. I told you this was good for you. And that caused all the problems in the world because she tried to control the situation. I'm just joking. We're going to have some fun here today because everybody relax, all right? Men, on the other hand, don't necessarily struggle with the control thing too much. In fact, they need to struggle a little bit more sometimes with the control thing. Men have no problem to be hands off. Men have no problem to be laid back and to take a passive approach on many things in life, especially when they see that their wife is on the controlling end. Now, this I, when I talk about this dynamic, realize this, that some of the most passive men at home are some of the most take-charge men at work. And they're very high initiative everywhere outside of the home. So that tells you right there, there's something going on that needs to be addressed. It's not his nature, but something's going on, and there's a dynamic, we're going to talk about that. One time I was talking about this subject of the, the, the controlling wife and the passive husband. I was talking about this, and I said, you know, hey, in the crowd, you know, crowd participation, any of the ladies who ever feel the need to control, raise your hand. And several ladies raised their hand, okay? Then I said, any husbands out there, okay, then you feel like, you know, you're a passive husband, and a few raised their hands, okay, and I saw one lady take her husband and raise his hand for him, <laughs> illustrating my point right there on the spot, <laughs> Passive husband, controlling wife. Let's start here in First Kings chapter 21. Verse 1 says, And it came to pass after these things that Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard which was in Jezreel next to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. So Ahab is the king. His next door neighbor is a guy named Naboth. And Naboth has a vineyard in his, in his plot of land. Verse 2. Ahab said to Naboth, Let me have your vineyard to use for a vegetable garden, since it is close to my palace. In exchange, I will give you a better vineyard, or if you prefer, I will pay you whatever it is worth. Now, we got to pause the story right here. Ahab, king, palace, guards, horses, money, sees his neighbor and his yard, and he says, I want that yard. Why did Ahab want the yard? For what? A vegetable garden. A vegetable garden. He wanted a vegetable garden. Tomatoes, cucumbers, rhubarb. I don't know what he was into, but for some reason, vegetables were, I guess, big on him, and he wanted his own little garden. I got to pause the story right here, and I got to say something. I'm going to be talking about secrets here today and revealing stuff to the ladies about the men and the men about the ladies. Now, I'm going to start off right here off the bat and say this to all the ladies. It's important that you realize that men, no matter how macho, strong, macho men, every guy, this is in the guy code, is allowed one chick thing everyone is allowed one chick thing everyone is allowed one thing that doesn't match the macho persona some people like the romantic comedies okay uh the hallmark movies okay or, or, or lifetime or whatever it is maybe they like to cry like that's their thing that's fine as long as that's the only thing like if that's your thing that's okay but you can't have two things some men, you know, their thing is, you know, they're macho, they're tough, they play basketball, they work out, they like the pedicure, manicure thing, like that's just what they do, okay? That's their thing, and it's okay as long as you only have one thing. Some guy's the man purse, some guy's the short little pants, they go, that's fine, like whatever it may be, every guy's allowed one chick thing. And I've made no secret about this before, I've told y'all that my chick thing, I've got a very clear chick thing, is I'm into 80s music, okay? And, and for me, not just 80s music... But the cheesier and the more love songs it is, like that's my thing. Okay, so I'm talking, I'm talking about. I'm not talking about like the Guns and Roses and Bon Jovi. Everyone loves those guys. But I, I love me some Starship. I love me some Journey. Don't Stop Believing. I love the true queens of music. Not today. I don't know what they call Queen today. The queens was a lady named Paula and the true queen named Whitney. Okay, those were the queens. Okay, of music back then. I love that stuff. But you can't talk cheesy '80s music. Unless you go to the true. See, all those other people you can get into today. But 80s meant these guys. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Thank you very much. I'm talking about Jordan and Johnny and Joey and Danny and Donnie, the original Wahlberg, okay? I don't know who the new other Wahlberg is, the original Donnie. Y'all remember these guys, right? These are new kids on the block, and all the old people love it. And I got to tell you, here's my chick thing. Not only I was into new kids on the block, But I would, I had a bandana for sure, okay? Had a bandana for sure, several of them. But I would, at times, in front of the mirror, do the moves, and practice moves. And I'll be honest, I was pretty good at the dance moves and new kids on the block, okay? No way. What? Who's that? No way, you didn't (laughs) Seven hours of practice for that 10 seconds right there. (laughs) Seven hours right there. And you can imagine if I didn't have a herniated disc what I'd be doing right here on the floor right now, right? For those who are just going to be watching this on the recording, okay, because that part we don't record that part right there, okay? We have, first of all, there's copyright issues and there's other issues going on why we wouldn't want to record that. For those who are just watching on the recording and that part got blacked out, you missed it, okay? You missed it. You don't want to miss the well in person because this, today was the day that it all came out, all right? Let's go back to Ahab with his vegetable garden right here. He loves, that's his thing, his vegetable garden. Ask the guy, I want your land so I can have it. Naboth responds, verse three. But Naboth replied, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my ancestors. So Naboth basically said what there in that verse? No. And why did he say no? Well, first of all, he may have really loved his land, but also in negotiation, if the king who has a palace Comes and says, "Give me that!" Like you're going to try to jack up the price because you know he's got the resources. So this is just a negotiation. The guy says, "No." Look how the king responds. So Ahab went home sullen and angry because Naboth the Jezreelite had said, "I will not give you the inheritance of my ancestors." So he lay on his bed sulking and refused to eat. I beg your pardon. Nah, uh, ahab king of israel he went in the negotiation i want this land no And what did ahab do he went home to his room he closed the door and he sat in his bed and that guy i gonna give me my vegetable garden what happened to you mr ahab like you 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 you, you got that's it you're just gonna go, I take my ball and go home and close the door and I don't wanna see anybody. I'm not gonna eat, I'm not gonna do anything today. I'm not gonna rank. Look at those little temper tantrum right here. Before we go continue the story, ladies, again, I'm giving secrets here today. Ladies, did you know that the stronger the man on the outside, oftentimes the weaker he is on the inside. And men have a tendency, have a tendency. Not all. I'm not saying all guys do this, but I'm saying have a tendency that we fight against. That when we feel like we can't win at something, that we don't measure up to something, that we're not good enough at something, we have a tendency to want to take our ball and go home. We have a tendency to say, you know what? This is hard. This is difficult. I quit. I don't measure up. Take my ball and go home. But luckily for Ahab, he's got a supporting wife. And his wife enters the story and sorry, not Naboth, Ahab comes home sulking. Let's see what his loving, supportive, caring, encouraging wife says to him in the next verse, verse five. His wife Jezebel came in and asked him, why are you so sullen? Why won't you eat? He answered her, because I said to Naboth the light, sell me your vineyard, or if you prefer, I will give you another vineyard's place. And he said to me, I will not give you my vineyard. And Jezebel's wife said, is this how you act as king over Israel? You can hear the disdain in her voice. The, the What are you, a putz? What are you, a, a, a wimp? Is this how you act as king over Israel? Get up and eat. Cheer up. Like, I'm going to make you cheer up. Like, if you don't cheer up, I'm going to put a smile on your face for you. I'll get you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. One of the reasons, I believe, and I know right off the bat, a lot of people are going to throw want to throw stuff at me. But you gave me, you promised me, I did the dance. You got to give it to me for a little bit. You got to give me a break. One of the reasons that God created women, it said in the book of Genesis, that God created woman as Adam, as his helper. And I know a lot of people don't like that word helper. Okay, and you want to throw stuff at me? I didn't come up with the word helper. Okay, God did. So if you got a problem, you got a problem with God. And maybe there's a misunderstanding of what the word helper means. What I think the word helper means, it means that man by himself was not complete. The world was good. The garden was good. Everything was good. But it was not good that man was alone. So, <clears throat> so God created for man a helper, someone to complete him, someone to be there for him. Why? Because he knew that man by himself couldn't get the job done. And that's not to say women by herself get the job done. It was saying that man by himself and woman by could not get the job done. God knew that man by himself loses keys all the time. He needed a woman around to help. Like He, he, he would never match anything. Okay, he would. He may not bathe, for all we know, whatever it may be. But he also knew that man by himself would get discouraged. He knew that man by himself would feel down. He knew that man by himself would not feel like comparing to all the other men. I don't measure up. I don't compare. And God knew that man needed a helper to pick him up and to lift him up and to encourage him and to support him. The word helper has gotten a bad rap. And anytime we disdain the role given by God, again, I'm not making it up. Like your problem is not with me. Your problem is with Moses who wrote the book of Genesis and Moses would say, that's not my problem either. God took it from God. So your problem, you go talk to Moses, okay? And you can get in line and talk to God after that if you've got a problem with the word helper. The word helper is the word given to the Holy Spirit is he is our helper. That doesn't, it's not a degrading, it's not insulting. It's saying the completion of that man by himself was incomplete and God created woman to be his helper. It is sad to me that many today resist the role given to them by God. Man as the leader, woman as the helper. It is sad to me that people resist on both the men and women, the side, the role that God gave them, because society or someone out there tells us that that's not the proper role. Well, let me tell you this. I'm telling you this because I love you. I'm not telling you this because I need anything from you. I'm telling you because I love you. The same people, I promise you, in front of God, the same people who resist the God-given roles, and resist the roles that God ordained. Those are the same people who will tell you that marriage is not worth it, and that marriage stinks. And they will tell you that marriage is not the greatest thing that God invented here. And I'm telling you, there's a re- there's a correlation right there. Because when you throw out the rules that God created for it, then of course the thing isn't gonna work right. Of course it's gonna be a distorted view of marriage. So the same people who tell you, ignore these roles. The same people tell you that marriage isn't worth it. And I'm telling you, there's a correlation right there. And I believe marriage is worth it when we look at it from God's perspective and God tells us how it works, not we tell him how it works. So, we're going to talk to both the men and the women. Passive husband, controlling wife. Who should we start with? Okay, let's start with the ladies. Ladies first, I'm a, a gentleman, okay? Let's start with the ladies. Ladies, two things that you need to know about your husband. The two worst things that you can do as a helper, the two worst things that you can do And God's role for you, the two worst things that you can do are shown by Jezebel in this verse when she says, this is how you act as king over Israel. The first thing is a controlling wife belittles her husband. A controlling wife belittles her husband. Jezebel said, is this how you act as king over Israel? In other words, what's wrong with you? Can't you do anything right? You're such a moron. I, I got to fix your mess again? Sadly, the controlling wife thinks she's helping her husband, but all she's doing is tearing him down. She thinks she's doing good for herself or for her household or for him, but in in, in the end all she's doing is hurting him and hurting herself in the process. Ladies, you are very powerful. You may not be powerful with the muscles, but you're very powerful with the tongue. And you have the power in your tongue. You have the power to build or to tear. You have the power to frustrate or invigorate. You have the power to bring death or to bring life. You have that power. The man may have the power in the biceps, but you have a much stronger power with the power of the tongue. And I'm not saying, listen carefully, I'm going to talk to the men later, so I'm not letting the men off the hook, okay? I'm not letting them off the hook. But I'm saying that a lot of times what you see in the man, that you criticize in the man, you got to look in the mirror and say, what role do you play in it? And the reason why I say this, I'm saying this in front of God. I'm saying this because I love you. I'm not saying this for any other reason. I'm saying this because you look up here at me and you see a confident man. You see a secure man. I'm telling you, whatever you see up here is because of the little lady sitting right over there, my wife. And if it wasn't for her, you need to clap for her. You can clap for her if you want, but thank you oh, That's an engaged, okay, sorry. engaged, that's right. Oh, and a romantic move. But I'm not trying to be romantic. I'm trying to be honest, okay? Of course, it wouldn't hurt if I got some romantic points for it, but I'm being honest that I wouldn't be who I am today. And I often think about that, that who would I be if it wasn't for Marianne? I wouldn't be this strong. I wouldn't be this confident because I got the most supportive, most encouraging wife in the universe. All right. And I know that you know when she's especially the most encouraging and supportive, you know where she shines? When I fail. And when I'm at my low point and I come with my tail between my legs and I come as a failure and I come feeling down, I've come feeling like an idiot. That's when she picks me up and lifts me up. So you see, people tell me, you're always in a good mood, you're always up and you're always. And I say, you know what? A lot of the reason why is the helper that God gave me playing her role as helper and lifting me up. I'm not letting the guys off the hook. I'm going to get to the guys. But ladies, you got to see what role you play in the fact that you say your husband is who he is. You got to see what role you play in that. I'm going to give you three Proverbs right here that talk about the wife and her role. And this one needs no explanation. Proverbs 27, 15. A quarrelsome wife is like the dripping of a leaky roof in a rainstorm. Let the word of God speak to all of your hearts right there. Okay? Now every guy's like, okay, I want to memorize a verse. This is the verse I want to memorize. This is your verse, okay? A quarrelsome wife... Is like a dripping of a leaky roof in a rainstorm. On the other side, the ladies will put this one up on the fridge. Who can find a virtuous wife? Her worth is far above rubies. Couldn't agree more with that statement. Let's sum them both up and say this one, okay? Death and life are in the power of a tongue, and I'm applying this specifically to marriage, and I say that to the ladies especially. Ladies, single or married here, what is the number one complaint? The number one complaint that ladies say about men today. Say it about their husband. Say it about men in society. Men today, what's the number one complaint that about men? Is they don't take initiative. That he's not a leader. That, he's, that he is, doesn't lead our family. Okay? But again, we're looking in the mirror right here. We're looking to see what is my role in it. Is there maybe that he doesn't take initiative, that he's not leader, and maybe I have a, a, a part in it? Friday night. And he says, hey, let's go out to eat. Let's go to this restaurant. And your response is, that's a stupid idea. Don't you know this, 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 and that? Next week, he comes and says, hey, I got an idea for our vacation. And he says, his great idea. What are you, a moron? That's the dumbest idea I ever heard. Spiritual. And I'm telling you stuff that I hear. Spiritual. We're going to pray together. And she says her soliloquy in prayer, and he utters two words. And she says, you call that a prayer? That's how you pray? Well, no wonder our family, no wonder our kids, and no wonder our our finances. Honestly, it breaks my heart sometimes. I know husbands who are great guys who in their wife's eyes can do nothing right. Can do nothing right. I'm not saying they're angels. I'm not saying they're perfect. But come on. I know some guys who believe in their wife's eyes, they can never do anything right. What is that husband going to do? Is he going to suggest another restaurant next Friday night? Is he going to come up with vacation ideas? Is he going to be excited to pray? The word for that, ladies, if you want to know what that's called, that's called soul crushing. That's called any desire he had to take leadership, any desire he had or to take initiative. You crushed it by telling him what a moron he is every time he tries. That husband is going to do what Ahab did. He's going to take his ball and go home. I'm going to close the room and I'm just going to be passive. Ladies, i tell you another secret. Men, were very simple. I'm not saying dumb. I'm saying simple. Okay, and I would argue that simple sometimes is better, but men are very simple. Men go where they feel good. So if a man feels good at home, feels like a success at home, he will want to go home. But if a man feels like a failure at home and feels like I can't do anything right at home, he's not going to want to go home. It's not complicated. It's simple. If a man feels like I'm successful at work, everyone loves me, treats me with respect. I'm successful when I play uh, basketball with the boys, everyone treats me with respect. I'm a failure at home. I can't do anything right. No one respects me. (laughs) That's a no-brainer. That guy is not going to want to go home. That guy is going to spend more hours at work. He can hang out with the guys more often. He's going to do less at home. And you're going to say, doesn't take initiative and no leadership. Hey, we're going to look ourselves in the mirror here and say, what role do I play in this? I don't mean this in an insulting way. Guys, I'm not saying this. I'm I'm not trying to, I'm not putting guys. Obviously, I'm a guy. I'm not putting guys down. You know dogs? You know how you treat a dog? A dog does something good. You scratch him behind the ear. You give him a smooch. You give him extra food in his plate. Ladies, it's that simple with the guys. <laughs> he does something good. You give him a scratch behind the ears, or maybe on the belly. Give him a smooch. Electric fruit in his plate, and you will see your guy doing tricks. I mean, responsibilities, and taking <laughs> initiative. Because the principle in life, in this, in every aspect of life, this is in every aspect of life what gets rewarded gets repeated. What gets rewarded gets repeated. Say it with me what gets rewarded gets repeated if you want an action repeated reward it. if you reward it it gets repeated if you don't reward it it doesn't get repeated at work at home with your children especially in marriage what gets rewarded gets repeated no guy ever left getting criticized getting torn down getting made to feel like a zero no guy ever left one of those sessions and said i want to take initiative in my home i want to step up no guy So if that's your strategy, that's not a good strategy. Go with the reward strategy. That's number one, the belittling. The second thing that a controlling wife does is quick to take over, quick to take over. And that's what Jezebel did. The guy came home, didn't get his veggie garden, and she said, get out of the way. I'm going to handle this. Go to your room, play with your toys, Okay, and I will be back and I will solve this problem. Think of it this way. Let's say you're getting in a car. You and your spouse, you're going to get into a car, you're going to drive on your vacation, wherever it is you're going to go. The car has two seats. There is a, go for your side, a responsible seat and a fun seat. The responsible seat the one with the steering wheel, has to be responsible at all times, has to be checking around, has to know where he's going, has to watch the speed limit, has to check the GPS. That seat has to be responsible at all times. The fun seat, what's their responsibility? Turn it up! (laughs) Kick back! It's hot in here, it's cold in here. Turn it up! There's one seat of responsibility and one seat of fun. Ladies, the problem in many marriages today is you jump in the responsible seat every chance you get. And as much as you jump in that seat, you're telling your husband, sit in the fun seat. And all he thinks his job is to say is, turn it up! And by doing so, you train your husband not to take responsibility, Now, let me kind of step back here. I realize that what I'm saying here isn't easy. I know some ladies, your husbands are are, are really passive and and they are irresponsible. and, And if you don't take charge, like you're not gonna eat that week. Like I get that. But what I'm saying is, is if you constantly, constantly jump in this seat, if you constantly do it every chance you get, I realize sometimes you gotta take charge. But if constantly you jump in that seat, you are training him to never step up I'll give you an example and these are real examples okay I switched some of them and obviously I'm not going to say names but these are real examples especially the third one I'm about to say is a verbatim example he gets the kids dressed for church on Sunday they come down he's a dad okay he barely can dress himself okay I get that he dresses the kids and the girl's hair is this way okay and the boys you know shirt is inside out or whatever like I like and it's okay he didn't do the best job he comes down and you, uh, and you take them back upstairs and you redress the kids. What message did you tell him? Sit in The fun seat. He, true example, loads the dishwasher, but he doesn't load it the right way. Like, you know how they all have to face a certain way and the big ones go there and then the little ones go there, whatever it may be. I don't know how these things work, but he doesn't load it the right way. And he's so proud of himself, and he pulls out the dishwasher to show you when you came home late from work, like, look at me, I did the dishwasher. And you take them all out and put them back in the right way. You told him, stick with the radio. True example, true example. A guy vacuumed his house, which most ladies, especially in my house, like, if a guy vacuums his house, like, Miracle today happened in this house. Like some ladies would drop to their knees and not believe the miracle that just took place, that the man vacuumed. True story. The lines weren't all... He crisscrossed or circles or I don't know what he did. He made perpendicular... Like that lady wanted to come in and she wanted like a super highway. Like she wanted just the lines straight. So what did she tell him? Stick with the radio seat. I know it's not easy. And I know I'm making joke of it. And I don't make life. And I realize that some of you got some serious issues. And I realize a lot of ladies struggle with this. All I'm saying is this. Is you can change. You can force your husband in the short term to do what you want him to do by taking over. Like you can force it. But you are hurting it in the long run. That ultimately, you are hurting his long-term motivation to ever step up and take the lead because you always jump into that seat. And I believe, I truly believe, that you can force, you can take control, but your much, much, much better bet is to take a step back, play the long-term game, and trust in God above. I show you a great verse, ladies. I show you a great, great, great verse for you. Psalm 68, verse 5. And I realize literally it may not apply, but I I realize that that sometimes like emotionally it does apply. He is the father of the fatherless. He is the defender of the widows, is God in his holy habitation. I realize that you're not a widow, that your husband is alive. But in some ways you are kind of like a single mom. And in some ways you are kind of a widow, you're kind of by yourself. And I get that and that's hard and it's easy just to throw darts and I get that. But what I'm saying is trust ultimately in God to do a work in your husband. Trust that that God who ordained him and put him in that position to drive and take leadership. Trust that if you step back and you lift your arms up to God Almighty, who is the father of the fatherless and the hope of the hopeless and the defender of the widows, the trust that he can do a long-term thing in your husband that you can never do by forcing it in the short term. That's for the ladies. Controlling wife. The littles, quick to take control. Now let's turn to the men. Oh, sorry, it's running late. No time. Keep up the good work, guys. Okay, let's, <laughs> no, 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 I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm just joking, I'm just joking. Gentlemen, maybe the reason that your wife is struggling with what I'm saying, maybe the reason that she always quick to take control, maybe the reason that she's seething right now is I'm telling her to let you drive maybe you have something to do with that. And maybe you need to help her let go of control by taking initiative and fulfilling your God-given role. Your God-given role. Not your me-given role, your God-given role. And your God-given role from the start of Scripture to the end of Scripture is this. A passive husband rejects his God-given call to lead with humility. To lead with humility. Not just lead. Not just humility, because humility can be the passive. Lead can be the aggressive. Lead with humility. Let's start with the lead part. Passivity is unacceptable. Gentlemen, it is unacceptable. The state of men today is unacceptable. And I'm just saying that in a general way. And I'm not saying you're unacceptable, but I'm saying it is unacceptable that we as men have abdicated, big word, have abdicated our role, our calling to lead, have just kind of let it go and said, you know what? what it is is what it is and we have just kind of sat back on the sidelines we sit on the bench drink our punch watch our tv and we have checked out from the god-given role that he has assigned to us in our family and in society god has hardwired it in men i truly believe this in every single man god has hardwired it in you to lead god has hardwired it in you not to sit on the bench just like you don't need you don't need to teach it to men you don't need to teach a lion how to hunt you don't need to teach a fish how to swim you don't need to teach a wife how to net, to, to nicely express, not, nah, nah, I'm just joking with you. I'm just joking with you. Just joking, just joking. Okay, that one didn't get as many laughs. Let's move right on, okay? You don't need to teach a man how to lead. All we need to do, gentlemen, we don't need to be taught. We don't need to take a class. We don't need to read a book. We just need to step into it. We just need to step into the role that God has laid out in front of us and be willing to do things that may be difficult but step into it. But we have to understand what it is. We'll go to a passage now from Mark chapter 10. One time Jesus is talking to his disciples. Two of them on the road were chatting together and they were saying about, how great it would be if I'm in charge. No, I'm going to be in charge. No, Jesus likes me the best. No, Jesus likes me the best. Jesus responds to them this way. He says, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. It shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know why a lot of ladies hate me talking about men as leaders? You know why there's a lot of talk out there? And forgive me, I'm not up to date, but I I, I know enough to know that there's a lot of talk about what it means to be a man and masculinity these days. You know why there's a lot of talk out there about that? You know why your wife cringes when I say what I'm saying? Maybe it's because of the way that we exercise leadership. And maybe it's because of the abuse that they have seen in men taking leadership. Leadership is never meant to be selfish. Jesus made it very clear that I am to take leadership in my home, not for my own sake, not for my own self interest, not so that I can have what I want, but I am to take leadership. For the sake of every single other person in that house, I'm to make decisions not based on what is good for me, but me is the fourth priority in my house. Actually, fifth. God one, and then everybody else two, and then me way at the bottom. But that's what true leadership is. is a man who makes decisions not based on what he wants, but he's strong for the sake of those who are weak. He is selfless for the sake of those who are underneath him or in his care, or in his charge. And that's what the world is missing today. And I promise you, If we men, if we walk out of here and say, we are leaders and we are going to lead it like Jesus led, we are not coming to be served, but to serve. If that's the kind of leadership, nobody will complain about your leadership. If your leadership is truly selfless, no one will say, why do you think you're the leader? And why does God say this? And why do I have to submit? And why that he said, no one will say that if we lead the way Jesus led. We need to be better at that gentlemen. And specifically, I got three here for you, make it practical for you. Guys, we need to lead in three ways. We were called to be providers, protectors, and pastors. Providers, protectors, and pastors. Provide, number one, I don't just mean, mean provide money, that part of it, but I mean provide safety, provide security. We're supposed to use the abilities and the gifts that God has given to us, the strength God has given to us, whatever it may be, to provide for others. And this, I teach this to my kids. What it means to be a dad is exemplified with this. There are two Oreos and three of us. Then you know who is the true Christ-like leader in the room. Two Oreos, three of us. Number two, we are called to be protectors. And when I say protectors, it doesn't mean you're supposed to sleep with a bat so you can beat away the robbers. I don't mean just protect their bodies and protect her body. I mean, protect her heart and take care of them emotionally and provide the safety and security that they long for. Gentlemen, gentlemen, Let your wives know that you love them. Let them know that you cherish them. Let them know, like I did, like a fool right now, that I can't be who I am without them, without her. Let them know these things. I heard a guy one time said, lady complaining, the guy never says he loves me. The guy never says he loves me, never says he loves me. And the guy said, yes, I did. I told you at the beginning of our marriage, I love you. If anything changes, I'll let you know. Guys, it's our job to make them feel loved. It's our job, not sorry, to make them feel loved, to let them know they're loved. It's our job to provide that emotional security that they long for and cherish, that we may not get it. Why do they need to hear it again, that they're loved? Why do they need, like, that we may not get it, but we need to provide it, and we need to protect them emotionally. Same with our children. Okay, our children need to know that we're there for them emotionally. We're not monsters. We're gonna judge them or throw them out. They need to know that there's safety in this household. That's our leadership, men. And lastly, we're pastors. When I say pastor, I don't mean you need to prayer meetings for hours and and lead a two-hour Bible study in the book of Revelation. That's what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is you're a shepherd. That's what a pastor is. You're a guide. You're supposed to take care of the sheep. You're supposed to be the one who is walking towards the kingdom and leading them behind you. Gentlemen, are you leading anybody to the kingdom? Are you yourself even walking in that direction? And if the people follow you, actually do follow you, where are they gonna end up? Like, we, like we, we need to be better in this. Like, I, I'm not saying we need to go to the seminary, but I'm saying we need to step into that role. And too many guys have given up that role and said to the wives, you do that. You take care of the spiritual stuff. Like, okay, you tell me when you wanna pray and you do whatever you want with the kids. No, 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 no. We need to step into that role, gentlemen. We need to be better. And I'm telling you, you lead. You provide. You protect. You pastor nobody will complain about your leadership. And in the end, gentlemen, whether you do it or don't do it, realize that God holds you accountable to this. We're going to go back to the story of Jezebel and Ahab and wrap it up right here. Jezebel, as when we left the story, she saw Ahab and said, you're a doofus, get out of here, I'm going to take control. So basically what she does is she throws a party and she invites Naboth to the party. And she also invites these two thugs to the party. And the two thugs conspire together. She tells them, I'll give you money. This is what you do. You go into that party. And when everyone is listening, you say, I heard this man Naboth curse God and curse the king. You accuse him of that. And the other one verifies. Now you've got two witnesses. And they do that in the party. There's an uproar. They take Naboth out back. They stone him to death. So basically, she murders him. Pick up the story there. Verse 15. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned to death, excuse me, she said to Ahab, get up and take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, that he refused to sell you. He is no longer alive, but dead. In other words, I took care of it. You can go now. When Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he got up and went down to take possession of Naboth's vineyard. Okay, And he had his little seed packets and his little watering thing. And you know, now I get to play with my vegetable garden. Hold your horses there, Mr. Ahab. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah, the Tishbite. Go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who rules in Samaria. He is now in Naboth's vineyard, where he has gone to take possession of it. Say to him, this is what the Lord says. Have you not murdered a man and seized his property? What's the answer to that question? Did Ahab murder anybody? Did Ahab murder anybody? Did Ahab even know that a murder was taking place? No. Ahab was playing in his room with his toys. Okay, like Ahab was just kind of complaining. He wouldn't even come out to eat. He's just playing with his little toys. And, and Jezebel said, I'll take care of it. You stay here. And then she came back and told him, now it's done. He's dead. You can go. So why does God say to, to Ahab, you're responsible right here? Because God made him to be the leader. And God will hold him accountable to what happens in that house, even if he has no clue what's happening. And in fact, the fact that he has no clue is what he will be held accountable for. Next verse, then say to him, say this to Ahab. This is what the Lord says. In the place where dogs licked up Naboth's blood, dogs will lick up your blood. Yes, yours for emphasis. In In case Ahab's like, you mean Jezebel? Like you're on the wrong room. Like that's her room over there. Like she doesn't allow me to go there. So she tells me to stay here. Yes, yours. Because I put you as the leader of that household. That was the role that I assigned for you. And you let go of that role and you were passive and you were held responsible or what took place. So now you can decide if you want to throw stuff at me or not. Those are the God-given rules. God designed men to lead with humility. God designed women to be the help. We lose our, 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 our ability to do those two things. Men, when we accept passivity, when we accept the just turn it up role, when we accept that, we reject the role God has given to us. And ladies, when we insist on being in control, we reject the role that God has given to us as well. So I will ask you this. A couple of questions. First, I want you to ask yourself, are you operating by God's standards or by society's standards? Do you look, because clearly society standards and God's are in conflict. Do you look at society, do you look at God's standards from society's perspective and say, outdated, doesn't work in 2019, old school stuff for not even my parents, my grandparents. This is the black and white era. Do you judge God by the standards of society? And if you do, I will just tell you out of love for you because I care about you. Please look at the outcome of society's marriages before you decide to adopt their standards. Look at the outcome of how marriage works in society before you decide to adopt their standards. And then I'll ask you: Maybe you're on the other end, which I hope you are. Do you are you willing to stand where God stands, and to say even if society tells me this is outdated, this is old-fashioned, this is not, I will accept how God commanded. I will accept how God designed it. I may not. Again, I just gave a very surface level. Okay, so I didn't really go deep. And I'm not happy to go deep with anyone one-on-one about what it means. Okay, to be the helper and to be the leader. So it doesn't mean like the, I'm not talking about like that. But will I judge God by society or will I stand with God and say to society, I do not accept your standard. I will stand with God and I will stand with the way that God designed marriage and I will trust the results. Like I'll go with God and accept whatever the results. Which one is you? If you choose the latter, which I hope you do, ask yourself where you've fallen short. Ladies, where have you fallen short? In your role, Where is it that you are controlling? Where is it that you are belittling? Where is it that you are always stepping up quick to take control and not letting your husband play the role that God designed for him to play? And men, where is it that you have let go? Where is it that you are just sitting back and passive? Where is it that you've just abdicated your responsibility and said, you know what? That's twice I used that word in case you're counting. Where is it that you've just said, you know what? Like that's not, it's hard. I don't need to do that. And it's going to be okay. Where is it that you've taken a passive role? And I'm telling you, maybe you never heard this in a while, but I'm telling you to all the men in the room, I believe in you. I believe you're better than that. I believe that we're better than that. I believe that our wives, our children, our society needs us to be better, needs us to step into the role that God has laid out. You don't need training. You don't need me. Oh, Maybe all you need, maybe all you need is somebody to tell you, I believe you can do it. And I'm telling you, I can believe you can do it. You probably make mistakes, but you can do it. You can be that man, because that's what God put inside you. <clears throat> Leave you with a passage from Ephesians chapter 5, where St. Paul talks to the wives and talks to the husbands. And you see clearly, short passage to the wives gives a lot more to the husbands. All right, He says, wives, submit to your own husbands. Ask to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. But he's saying in a perfect world, The wife submits to the husband, the husband submits to God in a perfect role. And I'm telling you, a true man who leads with humility, who is submitted to God, any woman, a godly woman, would love to submit to that kind of husband. I promise you. Okay, I promise you. If you are are doing that role, the wives would love that. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. See the selflessness, the humility. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That he might present her to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Never in there did it say anything about selfish. Never did it say anything in there about power. It talked about selfless and humble. And my prayer for you today is that we would adopt the standards that God has laid in place, and we would step into the roles that God has designed for us. And then I trust that God Almighty, who gave us the design, will reward us with the kind of marriage that we're all looking for. Let's stand up and say a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the gift that you've given to us, that none of us is complete by ourselves, that that you created us, Lord, to be in community with one another, and you created this thing called marriage, Lord, to, to help us to live that out, I pray, Lord, for every marriage that's here. That every marriage, Lord, that, that might be struggling or might be going through stuff, that you'd help them, Lord, to step into the roles that you designed for them. And whether that means stepping back or stepping up, Lord, I pray you'd give them the strength to do so. I pray for those who are approaching marriage or thinking about marriage or considering marriage. I pray that you would help them to be the godly people that you want them to be. so They can find the godly person that you want them to find. I pray all these things in the mighty name of your son